What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Assembly Ball. A brutal college hoops beat in Bloomington turns 4-1 and one into 3-2, and two, and we don't get the Blackhawks home in the shootout for a split on the ice. We've got to talk more about the high comedy that is the Senators' goaltending as it strikes again in a way that made me react as though I was watching a horror film. Five plays on the hardwood and one hold-your-nose bet on the ice tonight, then some preliminary Super Bowl thoughts as we pick through the props to determine where there might be value come Sunday. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. We'll start with a little Don't Look Back in Anger last night, college basketball edition. And let's be honest, we went 4-1. and one. Now the record might show 3-2. and two. And if you got a bad number, unfortunately, the record might even show 2-3. and three. But you don't... We haven't gotten these bad beats this way yet this season. Maybe that's part of being a little bit more selective. Maybe that's part of focusing a little bit more on just a couple of conferences. But Indiana, plus three and a half, just an absolute brutal one yesterday at home to Illinois. And got the best of the number as the number goes to you know plus two and a half. Indiana leading for much of the game, never was outside of a three-point Illinois lead, goes to overtime because, of course, it goes to overtime. You know, at that point, you know, minus three and a half, you're like, okay, like, it's it sucks that it goes to overtime, but it doesn't feel like it's going to be uh, a bad beat because, you know, the favorite wins in overtime a fair amount, and when we're talking about only giving up the three and a half points here, it's not like, you know, they're winning by eight points in overtime to cover a seven and a half. So expectations are already pretty low for how we're going to sort of survive this. That being said, the way the overtime plays out, again, never gets outside of a three-point lead, never really gets outside of a two-point lead until we get to the end and you start dealing with fouls and Illinois being willing to foul Indiana, which is normally a good thing when you have a plus three and a half because they are content with winning the game by one or two points. But the way the clock sort of works out, we end up having to foul again here with Indiana down two with two seconds left. And of course, God forbid Illinois miss a free throw. They make both and they win by four. So they played 44 minutes and 58 seconds of this game and the point spread or the you know the the separation was never outside of 3 points until that last second of the game so really annoying cuz it sets set up the whole way like we were going to go 4 and 1 uh, unfortunately for those grabbing the late number with Maryland you knew one of those late numbers was going to jam somebody up that Maryland at Pickham goes to minus 1 eventually to minus 2 even 2 and a half i think and of course they win on a free throw late in that game so again uh on the right track with regards to some of these plays a lot of the leans ended up getting there even in the early afternoon talked about butler and they had an incredible backdoor cover uh notre dame etc etc um so again feeling pretty good about college basketball even if the results weren't uh how we'd hoped for last night as for tonight handful of plays here i've got kentucky plus four and a half at Missouri, Florida, minus eight, minus eight and a half here at home against South Carolina. South Carolina is atrocious. Normally, you can 
you know, put your faith in their defense. That's not the case this year with South Carolina. And Florida has made a strategic, essentially, change to what they do on offense, going a little bit you know, bigger, a little bit more interior-centric, uh, and that's improved them quite a bit. And the results show that over the last couple of weeks, including that road win at West Virginia. So price is a little bit high here against South Carolina that by reputation has a pretty good defense. It's just not the case this season. I think Florida blows them out. LSU, I think, hangs in there with Alabama, two teams that can fill it up a ton. Uh, obviously, you know, hopefully, hoping, you know, for a bounce back from a win-loss perspective for Alabama. I just think the number at eight and a half, a little high here. Expect LSU to keep this one relatively close. And then we're going back to the well. I almost didn't do it, but we're going back to the well here with Providence as a home two-point underdog against Seton Hall. Essentially, which team is going to blow a 15-point lead? Because both have done it in the last week. But I trust Providence more than I do Seton Hall, especially at home, especially getting a couple of points. And then finally, Pittsburgh plus four at home against Virginia Tech. Big win for Virginia Tech for us on the money line. That being said, now we're going on the road here against Pittsburgh, who I think is very live when they're at home. And I don't think that this spread should be as high as it is. Feels a bit more like a two-point um, spread to me here, or even closer to a pick'em game. Wouldn't be surprised if Pittsburgh won this game outright. As for the rest of the board, uh, Houston, guess what? They're massive favorites against an American <laughs> athletic conference team. Nothing new there. Don't want anything to do with that one. St. Louis and LaSalle, same sort of deal. Looked hard at Memphis, minus 11. They were, I believe, nine, nine and a half against Central Florida a couple of days ago. Now, obviously, that line, given the fact that Memphis blew them out, has moved up a little bit here, so I'm going to pass there. Wichita State looked a little bit interesting as a big favorite. Again, trying to stay away from big favorites as my general MO. Another one, Creighton and Georgetown. Georgetown a little bit interesting as Creighton has struggled a little bit here over the last couple of weeks, but I'm going to leave that one. And then Oklahoma State, minus 4.5 on the road. TCU, this feels like a pretty good spot here for TCU. Probably should have beat Missouri at Missouri on Saturday. I'm just going to pass on this one. Certainly not taking Oklahoma State on the road at any kind of a price. And then Villanova, minus 10 on the road against St. John's here. Bad matchup for St. John's. Villanova probably wins and wins convincingly. Again, I'm just not one to take double digits on the road in any kind of situation. Uh, also looked at Virginia, minus 6.5 against NC State. Again, a lot of these favorites I think are very of reasonable favorites. It's just not something that I want to do. And then the last game of the night, 11 o'clock, San Diego State minus 18. If you look, San Diego State absolutely beating the brakes off of the lower level competition in the Mountain West. And of course, that's why they're favored by 18. And it might not be high enough because New Mexico is essentially bailed on this entire season. So that's the story with regards to college hoops for Wednesday night. As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Yeah, there's our boy Laszlo. You know what that means. Time for a little let's do that hockey. Um, decent evening. Uh, could have been better. Two and two on the ice last night. Montreal, an easy winner in regulation. And Winnipeg gets there as well. Probably a little bit closer than it needed to be with kind of a fluky goal to make it three to two. And then we're sweating out the whole empty net, you know, six on five situation, et cetera, et cetera. And then Chicago, my favorite play of the day. You know, we're getting a really good price on a team that I think is considerably undervalued with Kevin Lankinen in net, the Finnish goaltender for the Chicago Blackhawks. 
you know, we go in home game against Carolina, plus 150, plus 160, depending on the number that you got. And it wasn't necessarily full value from a five-on-five standpoint. Carolina was the better team. But again, when you're factoring in the goaltender the way that we were relative to the price, you have to understand that, like, yeah, we are expecting Carolina to be the better team. And at that point, it's different degrees. But we're also expecting the goaltender to stand up. And he did. And it forced a shootout. And at that point, that's all you can ever want, right? I was hoping for a shootout the whole time. You've got guys like Patrick Kane on Chicago that, you know, obviously you like to score a goal in the shootout. He doesn't. And Andrei Svechnikov scores for Carolina and they win in the shootout. And so you sort of tip your cap. You know, we've gotten to about back to 500 when it comes to the overtime shootout coin flip type thing. So that's not what this is. Just would have been nice from a nightly standpoint to get out of there with, you know, three and one with that plus 150. Because now you're sitting there, you know, up two and a half units instead of a break even number. The last game, Columbus, not even close. Terrible call. From that standpoint, the value just got to a point where I'm like, okay, pretty much have to bet this at even money, but they were not good enough. Uh, Tonight, just two games on the ice, one that we sort of care about here with regards to our Central and North Division concept, Uh, and it's in the Central, and it's no fun. It's no fun at all. Tampa Bay and Detroit, Detroit going to Tampa Bay here. Wrote a preview on this for the Action Network, so check that out if you want to get a little deeper into it. But fundamentally, the number is out of control high, right? Tampa Bay minus 350, uh, Detroit plus 275, depending on your sports book. And that's just too much, right? Like, that is just too much. But, I mean, we're looking at a Detroit team here has lost a bunch of games in a row, and it would be... Quite surprising if they actually won this game outright to snap their losing streak. Like, this does not feel like the spot for them to snap the losing streak. That being said, they've done a pretty good job uh, holding teams down, you know, from a defensive standpoint, five on five. Uh, The power play and the penalty kill is what's caused them to lose these games against better teams. And I think Tampa Bay is overvalued right now. My true number has it at minus 170 to plus 170, which means we, you know, probably should have expected a Tampa Bay Money line of minus 185, minus 190, something along those lines. So the idea that this thing is up into the threes is insane. But again, I don't really think that Detroit's going to win the game necessarily. But I do like the value in the number. And the money line number extrapolates to the derivatives. And I'm more comfortable taking the puck line in this one with Detroit plus one and a half getting better than even money. I think you can get plus 120 out there. I said anything at even money is worth a play for me in this one and that's just a way that we can kind of get out of not needing Detroit to win the game because again if we get it to overtime are you know would we be happy with it going to overtime or a shootout yes just by the numbers because obviously we'd be sitting with a plus 275 in the coin flip that is three on three hockey or the shootout that being said we don't have a talent matchup right like the Tampa Bay talent level on those that three on three in that shootout is decidedly in favor of Tampa Bay. So it's, you know, like we're getting a good price, but we're still not even close to a 50-50. Like these are the rare situations where it's not really a coin flip because Tampa Bay is going to win 60, 65% of the time in three on three or a shootout. So I'm going to pass on that. And if we can somehow get to overtime here, that means we're an automatic winner here with Detroit plus one and a half. And if not, again, I think this game is going to be a little bit of a low-scoring game. The total indicates that as well, sitting at five and a half. 
So I think we could have a 3-2 type of game. Now you're sweating, you know, empty net goals and all of that kind of thing. And that's the issue fundamentally there. But for our only play, you know, it's not, it's certainly not safe. Because again, it's still an underdog play at plus 110, plus 120. Like think about that if we were talking about a money line. If you're betting a team at plus 110, plus 120, you'd understand that you're going in against a team that's minus 130, minus 140 on the other side. So that being said, like the numbers just indicate for me that there is value on betting Detroit in one way or another, but I'm not going for the home run tonight with a plus 275 type price. One last thing from last night on the ice, and it's the Ottawa Senators. Just the absolute comedy show right now of the NHL. And I actually gasped audibly out loud at one point at the Senators' goaltending Overall, it's the same story every single night, right? The Senators have more high danger chances. They have a better expected goals for. So eight to six high danger chances, five on five against the Oilers. They have a 1.64 expected goals for Edmonton, 1.46 even strength. And but you sit down and you watch the game. And honestly, like if you don't get there quick enough to watch the game, you're going to miss the other team's score on the oil or on uh, the senators right you're going to see the oilers score that quickly um three shots into the game senators give up a goal uh fifth shot they give up a goal and then my audible exclamation just gasp in terror as leon dreisaitl like comes down the right side and he i swear he looks up and he sees marcus hogberg sliding out of the net like he's just completely out of position to the point where he ends up like square with the goalpost and I said out loud I was like you're not defending the goalpost you're defending the net and I was horrified because Dreisaitl looks up and I think he sees him slide over and he just flicks the puck without any you know gumption whatsoever on the shot not a slap shot not even a wrist shot not even like a lean on it snapshot he literally just flicks the puck into what was essentially a foot-wide area that the Senators' goaltender had departed from. And, you're, and they show the replay, and there's one look from the sort of long end, the far side of the end, and you see rookie uh, German kid from uh, the Senators, Stoitzel, he, his shoulders just sh- you know shrug down right? Just slump over and his head just kind of goes down. And you literally see, like, I'm like, I'm pointing it out to my partner, Emily. I was like, this is the definition of the Senator season, right? It's like completely non-high danger situation, goaltender sliding out of the net and the other team just shooting the puck in the net as though it's, you know, a beer league game. And the skaters who are working their tail off out there just completely deflated, and that makes it three to nothing. The game goes on to four to two, which again, exactly what you would expect, right? Like the Senators win the rest of the game two to one, but because the Senators goaltending just doesn't show up in the first period, essentially, they're constantly at this deficit. Quoted the stat yesterday and in a preview, uh, I believe both for last game and the game before that, about the Senators being a top five team when at even strength while the game is tied. But again, another situation where it's like, sorry, Senators, you didn't score in the first five minutes of this game. You took too long to take a lead because your goaltending can't go five shots without giving up a goal. So 
again, just on the blacklist, they're always going to be value betting the Senators. I can't imagine what the number is going to be as they go visit Montreal in a home-and-home back-to-back situation uh, this weekend. I mean, is it going to be sort of Tampa Bay, Detroit levels here where it's minus three something? Are we all just going to have to bet minus, not just minus one and a half, but minus two and a half against this team? Like, you know, again, it just goes against everything that you would think from five on five play because they just don't have the goaltender. I know it's a broken record type thing. And so I think what's going to happen here is we're just going to have to turn to team totals against the Senators. So the idea being like, okay, they might be able to play with some of these teams five on five. I think they certainly are, especially at even strength um, or sort of even game state. But the goalies are going to give up goals here. And so you're going to get a lot of six to four type games. In this case, a four to two game. But how high can the totals be made? for this team. So, you know, six and a half ended up getting super juicy on the over at like minus 135 yesterday. It, you know, is it going to go to seven just because the Senators are bad at, you know, not preventing goals or preventing goals? And so we're going to just have to look at these derivative markets because we know the other team is going to score. Now, maybe the Senators are good enough in certain games to win a game six to five, get to overtime four, four and win in a shootout, something along those lines, because eventually they're going to have to win a game. Like the idea that they're just going to go one and 55 <laughs> for this season, like that just doesn't happen. And that's the point. Like as bad as some of these teams are, and we talked about Detroit having lost six straight, like as bad as some of them are, like, they're not that bad, but if you have one fundamental flaw that is just sort of outrageously terrible, like historically bad at this point, and it will be historically bad if it continues this way, and I'm sure, I mean, I suppose there's a possibility that, you know, these two guys start playing better, and listen, they're not getting any favors necessarily from the defense, but like, the Senators still outchancing the other team. So like, you could say like, oh, you know, like this many high danger chances, yada, yada, yada. Well, it was six yesterday against the Oilers. It was one five on five. Now, when you go to the power play, that's going to be a different story. That needs to get tightened up here. But again, it just doesn't compute with regards to anything that we understand going forward. And it's sort of just going to be this topic of conversation. I don't know that we can bet these games other than, again, taking the team total over three and a half, for example, for their opponent. Like, I will be jumping on essentially whatever the team total is for Montreal. It's the only way to bet some of these games without having to lay just an incredible amount of juice against this team. Want to finish up the show here again, short show, because it's Super Bowl week and working hard on that kind of stuff, um, with a few thoughts on the Super Bowl. Talked to Ted Ballantyne yesterday on Tuesdays with Ted, and, you know, he sort of talked about what he would do with regards to betting this game, and, you know, we've had a week and a half here to sort of gather our thoughts and crunch the numbers and all of that kind of thing. So as we go through, you know, we'll talk props and stuff on Friday, like the full menu, have, you know, more of an idea of a pick and how we're going to bet the sort of format of the game. You know, we're going to spread out how we normally do the Friday show here, where it's sort of like, how will the game go? What are the live betting options, et cetera, et cetera. We'll do those over the course of three days. But fundamentally, as I'm sort of looking at these games, I think of sort of five big concepts here. One is a very math-oriented concept. It's about the odds. And... You know, people quote Super Bowl's past when they talk about, you've seen it, right, out on social media or whatever, and like, this is the trend with regards to Super Bowls, and you know, yada, 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 right? And like, they're pretending like this game just 
you know, isn't just another game. And it's not just another game from like a personal standpoint if you were playing in the Super Bowl, but it's still 60 minutes. There's still, you know, the same dimensions on the field. Nothing's really changed other than it's on a neutral field. And that's not even the case this year. And so then you have to talk about, okay, well, what does home field mean to you, right? Does it mean sleeping in your own bed? Does it mean, you know, not having to travel? Does it, you know, what does that mean? Obviously, in some cases, it means fans, right? In this case, probably not, because this is going to be a very neutral fan type situation. And so, you know, they talk about it as if it's, you know, some really different game, but it's like, no, it's still just a football game, 60 minutes. But there is one little element, and it's not having anything to do with the game. It's having to do with betting patterns. And you'll probably see people talk about how in the Super Bowl, people are just more likely to bet the underdog money line than they are over the course of the season, right? Because we're all trying to beat the spread during the season. And then in one final game here, it's like, okay, who do you think is going to win the game? And you have a lot of recreational money that just cares about winning and losing. And when you have a guy like Tom Brady as the you know face of the underdog, it's very easy to bet on Tom Brady as an underdog, even if it's against the Kansas City Chiefs. And I shouldn't say like it's easy to bet against the Kansas City Chiefs, but it's easy for people who are just sort of showing up here, maybe making their biggest bet of the season on the Super Bowl because it's the Super Bowl. Which means if you like Kansas City, I would eschew the point spread here and just take the money line. You have to pay a little bit more, but we're watching as the game gets closer, the money line's slowly dropping, right? Minus 180, minus 175, minus 170. Now it's into the minus 160s. I've even seen a minus 162 here. So as this game approaches, if you like Kansas City, just wait. And it's not normally the situation that you you know want. Normally you want to bet the favor early because the, the line is often going to go up. Now the line here you know, over a pinnacle right now, you can get a flat three, which is really indicative of where, you know, sort of the sharp or big money might be going in that some of these more recreational books still have it in that toggle point of minus three and a half, but you're paying juice for the plus three and a half or minus three where you're paying a lot of juice for the minus three. But over a pinnacle, it's pretty much dead even, right? Low juice, uh, sports book in general so you're looking at minus 102 on one side and minus 109 on the other obviously the best price on both sides essentially and so if you're looking to bet kansas city and you know i'm not here to tell you that's the right side or the wrong side because i don't know that there is a right or wrong side this isn't a thursday night game where everybody's piling into one side and it's creating value you know on one side or the other right everybody's fully aware that tampa bay is playing on their home field they're also fully aware that there might not be an element of home field advantage right there isn't a ton of stones left unturned in this game and so if you can wait and wait and wait i think that's the best move because you might be able to get like a minus 150 something on the point spread and given the fact that depending on your sports book your other option might be minus three at minus 120 i think it's certainly worth that quote unquote 30 cents in order to bet kansas city to just win the game outright because games land on three all the time it's the most uh, frequent landing space for a game 14 and a half percent of games land on three and if you figure okay well there's a you know 62% chance here that Kansas City wins this game according to the money line that means there's about a 9% chance that this game lands on minus 3 well if we're getting into the minus 150 type area here for a money line price and nothing changes for the point spread 
that 9% is shriveling down, right? That's no longer the difference between the point spread and the money line. It becomes closer to 7%. Now we're talking about tiny edges here, but this is sports betting. And I know it's the Super Bowl, so it's one game, did you win, did you lose? But we're still talking about over the course of a thousand sports bets. It's need, it needs to be considered the same as any other game. And maybe you're putting a little extra on it because like you're, it's the Super Bowl and it's the end of the season. And, you know, maybe it's the difference between you winning on the season or losing on the season or something along those lines. But my rep recommendation is just chill, right? Get a little looser with the props, right? Maybe you're not a prop bet type of guy, but maybe you want to play five or six. And we'll talk about more about those and how we see that the game going. And you know, I'm not going to give any any bets out necessarily here, but this is sort of what I'm thinking for the for this game. I think there's a very good chance that Tampa Bay gets the ball first. Tampa Bay opted for the ball against Green Bay. That ended up being a pretty good strategy. They went down and scored the first touchdown of the game. They prevented the Packers from doing what the Packers do, right? Which is take a big lead. Uh, I think this is, you know, if you're looking at this game as a full 60 minutes, not in a linear way, from Tampa Bay's standpoint, yeah, they have to think that in the first quarter, this is the opportunity to beat Kansas City. And as much as you can hop in on live on Kansas City as sort of this fail, you know, foolproof, you know, fail safe type move where it's like, well, they're going to go down nine points to Buffalo. They're going to go down 17 points, you know, to Houston, 20 points here, there, whatever. And they're, they're always going to come back and you're always going to, you know, bet them live. The point is, is like, that's not ideal for Kansas City. Like, I don't think they want to do that. And if the idea is to accrue as many points as possible over the course of 60 minutes, what difference does it make that if you're Tampa Bay, like, why not do it in the first 10 minutes? Like, you're not going to not opt for a 10 nothing lead just because Kansas City's really good at coming back. Like, they don't get caught from behind ever right it's really just a matter of holding them off and the few games that they lose and let's not forget like they don't they also don't lose very many games here right essentially one game in the last year and a half where they've actually been trying to win the game and that was the las vegas raiders of all teams and so if you're tampa bay like yeah you're going to want to take the ball and you're going to put points up on the board and take your chances with a 10 to three lead after the first quarter, something along those lines. Because if the alternative is giving Kansas City the ball, hoping that you can stop them right away and then scoring sort of from a more traditional standpoint, like I would still do that because that's just how I'm built to have the, you know, want to have the last possession of the first half and the first possession of the second half. But I can understand, I can see why Bruce Arians would make that decision. And whether that's against Green Bay, which is a decision he already made, or against Kansas City, the point is, I just think that they're going to get the ball first. And does that necessarily mean they score, all of that kind of thing? No, not necessarily. But like it does inform how we want to bet some of these props, when a lot of these props are first to do this, or you know, game-centric type, type things where you're looking at it going like, okay, like this team has a uh, better chance of throwing the ball a lot more if they're down, et cetera, et cetera. So I think Tampa Bay gets the ball first. So sort of factor that in when you're going over your own stuff. Next one up. When was the last time Kansas City played a good defense? A good defense that looks like Tampa Bay's does. 
because you know whether it's just the AFC West or the playoff matchups that they've you know had over the last couple of years like look back to it last year where it's Houston it's Tennessee and then this year it's Cleveland and it's Buffalo teams that you know haven't exactly been lighting it up here from a defensive standpoint right not exactly stalwarts then they get into the Super Bowl last year against a legitimate defense against the San Francisco 49ers and you're saying well they scored 30 points they won the game they had 10 points in the first three quarters it didn't look great and as much as you might be like completely afraid of betting against Kansas City and that's completely understandable you know you have to talk about matchups here right we've seen them play like a Denver team not an incredibly good defense but a team that held Kansas City down a little bit but other than that you know it's Atlanta where they only had 17 points it's you know the Chargers it's Miami it's the Jets Carolina you know we talked about Las Vegas and as much as Vegas won the game that was a shootout type game the only other team on this board is Tampa Bay and you're going yeah in my mind's eye you see like Tyreek Hill just running around doing Tyreek Hill type things but again that's 20 points in the first essentially i don't say first quarter because it was 17 in the first quarter and then they got three late in the in the second quarter so 17 in the first quarter where you're up 17 to nothing and at that point and from then on like again kansas city doesn't really do all that much and so if this is like the idea is if kansas city is some unstoppable force here because they're putting up you know 30 points a game against the carolinas and the las vegas's of the world here I just don't know that I'm necessarily buying. It's not like I'm not buying into the Kansas City offense, obviously, but you know they're going to truck a lot of these matchups that they've that they've faced, right? And so, it's not like that they're. It's not like that their offense is completely unstoppable in that like technical term. It's more of can you just hold them from not having one massive quarter? And I think Tampa Bay obviously like that's the goal and like how are they going to accomplish that and i think they can do just enough offensively to maybe accomplish that goal and so i don't want to get wrapped up in like kansas city dominating buffalo or making the comeback and just blowing out buffalo or dominating cleveland up until the point where mahomes got hurt like i'm trying to take that stuff out of my brain and analyze it relative to the previous game against tampa the previous Super Bowl against San Francisco, and some of these matchups against good defenses. Because unfortunately in this league, there are few and far between. But I think when fully healthy, Tampa Bay does have that good defense. Problem is, we got some injury issues on Tampa Bay. And that leads us to the next thing. In this game, in any football game, there's going to be wins and losses in the middle of the game, right? You're going to have one team you know high leverage situation and one team's going to win more of those high leverage situations than the other team right getting them off the field on third down converting a fourth down making a big play right strip sack do you recover it or does the offense recover it right that opportunity to make that high leverage play and the high leverage play isn't necessarily the strip part of the sack obviously that's a key element but the high leverage play is the takeaway right it's the difference between knocking a ball down away from a wide receiver and catching that ball for an interception 
So I think there's going to be opportunity here for Tampa Bay to have high leverage situations, but how many are they going to get and how many are they going to convert, specifically when Kansas City throws the football? I think there's not going to be any real reason for Kansas City to run the football against this Tampa Bay defensive front, especially with Vita Vea coming back. So why bother running the football when you have Patrick Mahomes and you can throw it around? But we talked, you know, You've heard all week about the offensive line issues, injuries, and whatnot. We'll talk about a little bit more about that throughout you know, the next couple of days. But if it's a one-dimensional offense type situation, like there are going to be opportunities for Tampa Bay to convert these high leverage plays into something. What that ends up being, well, that's going to be the difference in whether Kansas City wins this football game or Tampa Bay wins this football game. And then finally, from a betting standpoint, you look at this number and we talk about the money line being minus 150, minus 160, you know, minus 170, something along those lines. And I'm of the belief that if Kansas City wins this football game, as sort of lame as it sounds, like there isn't going to be a scenario where Patrick Mahomes isn't the MVP. Like, sure, if, you know, Travis Kelsey catches 10 balls for three touchdowns, yes, that becomes an option. But we've just seen, right, and whether it's Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Eli Manning or whomever over the last 20 years, it takes an incredible series of events for somebody other than the quarterback to be named MVP. And for the Kansas City backers, like, I don't know why you wouldn't just bet Mahomes for the MVP at a higher price point than, or, or a higher investment point than Kansas City on the money line or Kansas City on the spread. I mean, it's not as fun because you're watching the game and you're, you know, the game ends and you still aren't sure whether you've won your bet until a vote happens and they announce it, you know, right then and there. On the Tampa Bay side, it's funny that I mentioned Brady as this idea of a guy who won a bunch of MVPs when maybe he didn't necessarily deserve it, right? Like we think about, you know, the James White uh, Super Bowl where he has the game-winning touchdown he sets the record for catches like he's doing everything that you could ever ask for him and it just shows that he was never an option to win MVP so it's funny that like when we're looking at Tampa Bay here I think the options for them to win the game you know it's like if, if Mahomes as the favorite and rightly so is the guy to win MVP and the guy that you need to stop for Kansas City to not win the game which I think we can all agree like the way to win this game is to shut down or make you know high leverage plays against Patrick Mahomes well if if they're doing that that's going to be why they win the game and that's the person or the entity that's going to be the most valuable entity and if it happens to be one guy who is involved more often than not that's the guy who's going to win the MVP so it's it's if you're on Tampa Bay I wouldn't bother betting Brady to win the MVP because I think more has to happen than just, you know, Tom Brady played well, right? And I don't think like Leonard Fournette or Ronald Jones or, or Gronk or Mike Evans are going to ever do enough to win MVP. I think it's going to be somebody on the defensive side. And that's not necessarily unique, a unique opinion because we've seen money come in here on the Shaquille Barretts, the JPPs, um, even you know, White and Levante David and, you know, like over and over and over again. Now, maybe there's a situation where there's a defensive back, you know, like you need to probably need to score a touchdown or come very close to it to win, you know, an MVP here as a defender. 
and it might be worth a sprinkle on sort of all of the Tampa Bay defensive backs, right? All of their corners, perhaps, right? Something along those lines. So I don't really have an answer as far as like, oh, this guy individually for sure, because obviously pricing matters and there's different prices available on all of these different people. But the point is, is like, I don't know that Tampa Bay wins this game in a shootout, right? It isn't 31-30 and you know, Tom threw for 400 yards. It's 31-30 because, you know, Kansas City got a bunch of touchdowns, but there was also some defensive touchdowns for Tampa Bay. And that was the difference maker in this game. So, you know, a couple of different things there, more research needing to be done, you know, price comparison, all of that kind of thing needing to happen before, you know, we come up with more stuff. Uh, and more bets and you know we'll have that tomorrow um, and of course we'll have that on Friday as well uh, more Super Bowl stuff again throughout the rest of the week I'll also be joining Sheldon Alexander on his feed on the On Blast podcast network on Thursday we were doing you know weekly shows uh, on YouTube that you can check out over the course of the season that we had to stop due to uh, COVID-19 issues um through the last, I think, two weeks of the season. I think we got up to week 15 before that hit and uh, and it sort of had to stop, but we're back with a vengeance this Thursday. So I don't know what he's got for me. We'll see what he's going to throw my way. Uh, I'll tweet that out when, uh, when we do that. As usual, subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. Help us build the community. Check out the NHL game previews on the Action Network and follow it all on my Twitter feed at MRussAuthentic. Until next time, I'll see you at the window.